What is up, everybody? This is Dan from That Dan Band Show, the podcast on flow marching. It's been a little bit. Last we checked in, we were going into the Allentown weekend and discussing some of the potential outcomes for DCI 2023. Um, There is so much content out there around how the year shaped out, whether it was the percussion caption and what went down all three nights, or overall general effect and just those core placements, who got into vinyls, who didn't. I recommend you go out there and you check out all the different content on flow marching and beyond around 2023 DCI finals. I today chose to discuss something not completely different, but different in matter, I would say. Um, I feel like everyone's covering um, you know, current events, and we've been doing a lot of talking about what's been going on in, in drum corps right now and um, talking about different groups and shows and all the things. And um, so I wanted to use this as a place to kind of go in a different direction and, and talk a little bit more um, on maybe like the theory philosophy side, um, just thinking and using some of my background um, in literature and studying English and then thinking about how some of these ideas apply to the way that we view the marching arts in general and perhaps where some of the differences in how individuals come to viewing can span from um, or extend from our different experiences, our different backgrounds, that type of thing. So today's topic is around the two words that came to mind for me were interpretation and criticism. We hear the word criticism a lot at the world-class level. The judges are being asked to be critics of the groups that they judge. Um, And then there's the word interpretation, which could feel exactly the same as I'm an interpreter of a work or I'm a critic of a work? Am I doing exactly the same thing? Are those different and how? So I want to focus here on the word critique, particularly because we hear, we go to critique after shows, um, the judges serving as a form of a critic or even the audience or the discussion that takes place around the marching arts. It's all falling under this umbrella of, of critique or criticism. So thinking about what that means and and importantly, where the way that we critique art and thus the marching arts comes from, Um, because we didn't just show up and we sort of had the specific methods that we use, whether it be the platforms or the language that we use to come to a work of art and Uh, critique it. So um, let's first differentiate when we're talking about interpretation and we're talking about critique, what we are thinking about. So what is artistic interpretation? It is the act of attributing meaning to a work. So if you're coming to a work of art, it could be a painting or maybe it's a movie. What is the meaning of this work? Well, how exactly are we able to define a work of art's meaning. There's so many ways that we could do that. We could look at its composition, the elements that are used by the artist, the color patterns that emerge in the artwork. We can use the dialogue, the script, the text, the language, um, and then dive in from that standpoint. We're going to use the author's 
biography and background and the context of the work emerging from a set, certain time and a certain place. So the way that we come to the work is very specific to what we are sort of putting on. I like to think of it as a lens. Like if we put on um, glasses for being farsighted, it has a really different use than binoculars or a telescope or any tool that we use for vision. We can think about that as a frame of reference for interpreting something that we're interacting with. And I want to start talking about art, but we're going to expand and we're going to talk into other areas that can be viewed as texts or be viewed as something that uh, can be interpreted. So what is criticism? Criticism is the comparison, the analysis, the interpretation, and evaluation of a work. So let's think about criticism and drill down sort of what these terms, when we think about a judge or a critic, or we think of an audience member or the population online who are staging critiques or criticism against, in this case, the marching arts, because the marching arts podcast, but this could be the language around the release of a new novel. This could be around a new song released by a popular artist and the kind of fervor or conversation or dialogue that can happen around something being released that can be subversive or feel like it's causing a conversation, right? That's even something that is a colloquialism is uh, it's causing a conversation, it's stirring up a conversation, or it's in the conversation. So what is that conversation kind of, where is it coming from? What are the different facets of criticism that we talk about? So comparison, understanding something through relating it to something like it or different than it, right? So understanding blue and its differences from red, uh, understanding loud in contrast to soft to be less adversarial, um, how are we forming a criticism with the work? So comparison is a big one. And that one feels pretty obvious that when we look at one group, we look at Trooper's show from 2023, we can compare the show in all of its various facets and kind of design elements against the Blue Knight show or against Crossmen or against Cadets, Cavaliers, so on, so on. So comparison is one of the uh, bullet points of criticism. Then analysis, to be analytical towards work. You think about the way that the elements work together to form some kind of idea or to form an image, right? Analysis is literally taking the, the drill and going, oh, look at the way that this flows from this idea to this idea. What does that mean in terms of what the show is attempting to say to me as a viewer? And that can be as literal or as vague as the critiquer or the judge or the audience member. I want to keep um, just saying like, this is not about judging. It's about the way we all view the marching arts. But the way that our brains perform analysis and think through the, the why of things is an extremely important part of where criticism comes from, trying to make sense or rationalize through what can either seem like disparate or similar elements. That's the analytical part. Then we come to interpretation. Interpretation is a pillar 
of criticism, right? So if interpretation is the, is the meaning aspect, um, I think analysis interpretation have overlapping kind of qualities to them. But just according to the definitions that we've laid out, when we think about interpretation as meaning, that's where we try to go, this means this, right? If uh, I'm going to stay on the troopers metaphor for a second, if troopers show is to lasso the sun and the story of the show is the process of the troopers physically lassoing a son, then we can extrapolate from that metaphorically that it's the story of the troopers climb from where they have been to where they're going to be, right? Because this idea of lassoing the son, this like highly powerful sort of uh, symbol that we see out in the distance and that we kind of hyperbolize or that we hold to a certain regard of importance and, and its literal importance in allowing life on earth in order to lasso it, it means you have a certain amount of power or control or you've gained something or you've won something. Um, so perhaps that show is about the troopers current rise competitively um, to where they are and where they want to go. And again, I don't actually know if that is real, but that would just be my interpretation of to lasso the sun. Um, so that's kind of how that interpretive lens can work or that interpretive move can work. And then the last one would be evaluation and evaluation um, as part of criticism really makes sense when we think about the marching arts, because we are tasked as judges to put numbers down. So evaluating is not only comparing but it's also ranking. Um, so there is taking a number and we could go so deep in a rabbit hole around how ambiguous a numbered system is, right? Even when we're thinking through the respective boxes or getting to box five or thinking about what a 95 means, there is a level of interpretation even needed to understand that because that's a system that we've chosen to use versus just we could rank the groups and not even see a number, right? Or something we've talked about on here before is kind of like the Olympics, like holding up one through 10, and then you just add them up and average them. We do it a different way where you have two boxes, each one is worth 100, then they're put together and div divided in half or whatever it is, right? So um, in, in, in marching arts, the evaluation comes in the form of the way we use numbers, but there's all different ways that we evaluate art and work. And that could be evaluating through a literal value. There's a market value for artwork, right? You've seen the things where you can now uh, invest in just a fraction of a piece of artwork in the way that you would invest in a stock. Um, so there is a market value, right? There's a market value to the, the sneaker market. There's market value behind uh, our dollar. That goes the same thing for art, where art will come in and out of cultural consciousness based on its relevance. So something that's made far in the past, like a Blade Runner, comes back into cultural con consciousness in an academic sense because of its prescient message. And then all of a sudden, Blade Runner has a remake with Ryan Gosling, and it becomes popular again. But that's all just to say that the value, if we think of evaluating art and a work of art, can be through clicks, likes, shares, uh, hashtags, there's all this, these different data points, aside from just the sales, when the movie comes out in theaters, or when the book releases on Amazon, and it's on X and Y, or Z list, it changes over time, which really goes to show the way that interpretation and criticism can also evolve based on the, the flavor of the moment. Um, so again, 
let's summarize as we go through this. We just talked about what criticism is. Criticism is comprised of comparison, analysis, interpretation, and evaluation um, of a piece of art. So again, we're keeping it broad in, in this conversation around this word art, because I think that it's pretty common knowledge now that art is not just a painting, even though that's a really easy example. And even drum corps, I think, rides this interesting line of being an art and being a competitive sport. Um, and there's a lot that we could talk about is drum corps a sport. And we've probably had many of those conversations on here before, but I think specifically now in the last 40 or 50 years, it's become more common knowledge that things are art, that you can look at a decrepit building burnt in a fire and assign an artistic value to it through your interpretation of it, through a criticism of it, even if it's not purposeful, right? There's these abstract ways that we can form art, you know, John Cage's work, creating silent music and how it became a postmodern self-referential sort of uh, moment where the, the music turns back on the audience member and causes us to go back inside so that we are experiencing ourselves listening to music that's silent because what music allows us to do in many forms is escape. So I think John Cage was pushing against the escapism of music by removing its components and putting us back in the context of the listener. And Bertolt Brecht, who was, I believe, a German playwright, did something very similar. It's called the alienation effect. So you could think of how that would be relevant in the drum corps show when the drum corps wants you to re be reminded that you are an audience member. And I think um, what we did with Crown's show in 2022 would be an example of that, where the audience plays a role as the audience versus in many drum court show experiences, you are escaping your audience ship. You're going away from where you're sitting and you're being immersed in an experience for 12 or so minutes. And then at the end, you kind of bring your head back out like, you know, Harry Potter and the pensive and you're back where you are. You go, wow, that was really cool. Like it's, it's sort of, you become part of it and then you separate from it. Um, so I think it's important in order to understand where we are now, is to just discuss these really, really major touch points in criticism over the last 200 or so years. I'm going to blaze through these because I recognize this is a technical conversation around criticism and around artistic interpretation. It's not for everyone, but for those who have hung on and are interested in this side of things, um, at least from my personal perspective, um, because I don't speak on behalf of the marching arts in total, um, this is a really important part to understand how we got where we got in terms of our culture of critique and what feels now very normal and ubiquitous in conversations online or even amongst people in real life. How did we get where we got? Well, I'm not going to go through like a neo-technical uh, apocalypse type of thread, even though you absolutely could, but instead just think about criticism as a whole and keep bringing it back to the drum corps space because we are all critics of drum corps, whether we're fans and we go, I love drum corps, I love every single drum corps and here's why. There is the 
critique engine happening in your brain and in your experience of viewing and listening. And then particularly as staff members who are teachers, how our interpretation turns into what we produce through the membership as we coach them through what we see and what we hear. And then of course, the judge side of things. So there's kind of a few different aspects of how criticism and interpretation takes hold in drum corps. If we want to define it, I would define it right now as the audience, the staff and designers and the judges. We could definitely split the staff and the designers into all the different tiers of like tech caption management design and how each of them have their own perspective that they're meant to have. And as you get more experience, you're able to adopt more lenses at once so that you kind of put on, you know, the monocle that's technical. And then you, you put on the binoculars from far away and you zoom in. And then you also step back and you see the widest lens when you're in the box and you go down and you're, you're choreographing and you're working with the members in a more intimate way. And that's, as you grow more advanced, those lenses are available to you. You pull them on, you take them off and you kind of have more agency around which one you're choosing to have at any given moment. Um, and that's really, really cool to see people who are masters of the craft be able to zoom in and out or left or right or change their mindset from a coach to a sculptor. And it's interesting because in the marching arts, it's probably as co close as you can get to being a sculptural coach, right? We are collapsing these different uh, mediums between the visual arts, between um, the art of football or the art of baseball. And then we find ourselves in the weird place that is the marching arts. And that's probably why we're all attracted to it. Those of us who are my, my rambling came from wanting to discuss where this all comes from our current modes of critique and where they extend out of the, the following are kind of the primary critical theories of the 20th and 21st century. Um, they inform our ways of thinking and the way that we analyze, interpret and critique today. Coming kind of earliest in the 20th century is formalism. It's a little bit of a more literal take. And what formalism emphasizes is the close reading of the text or artwork itself without reference to the author's biography, without reference to the historical context. Formalism argues that the meaning is found within the internal structure and patterns of imagery in the text. So Formalism focuses on exactly what's there, using what's there, without thinking about what the author meant, without thinking about the time that was created in. And they look at just the literal pieces in there and try to find patterns and emergent meaning from patterns within whatever media you could be using. And if it could be text, it would be the words, it'd be the sentences, it'd be paragraphs, it'd be chapters. It's the way that everything's put together. But this can obviously be applied across a broad range of, of works of art. So that's formalism. So what comes next? Marxism. We've heard a lot about Marxism in our current time. Um, in terms of critical theory, Marxism views art as a product of the material conditions of its time. And it analyzes it in terms of its social and economic content. Art reflects the time it was created in. So you can see already formalism versus Marxism. Formalism is rejecting historical context. And Marxism is drawing exclusively upon historical context and looking at the way that the material or economic conditions 
led to the creation of the art, led to the creation of the language or the matter that is within the art, that it cannot be separated. And Marxism is extremely relevant today. And it really situates the work that you're looking at in material conditions, as the definition stated. Um, now, this strips away some of what art is able to do in terms of elevating the person interacting with the artwork away from the art or even deeper into it and allowing you to enmesh your experience and have a little bit more play. I think Marxism takes a way grittier kind of boots on the ground approach where they're saying the work comes from the conditions that it arose from and it's impossible to separate it from that, from a material standpoint. So Marxism is very, very popular now in sort of a poppy online form. Um, but what we're talking about is a more like pure um, OG as written by Karl Marx version that was super groundbreaking liter literary criticism, super groundbreaking in criticism and interpretation across the board and it connected art with the real world in a way that I think formalism very much turned its back on. So it reconnected us with real people, real experiences, what's really going on in the world at that time. So it's a little bit more historically grounded. The next really important critical theory that really changed everything, you could say, is psychoanalysis. So what is psychoanalysis? It explores the unconscious motivations of characters and authors, and it focuses on the way art deals with the themes of desire, repression, and conflict. So psychoanalysis is not just looking at what's in the text, but it's also looking at what isn't there and what the character confronts versus what they don't and what that means about their own repression of whatever the, that thing that is absence is right and this is such a heady way to look at art to go the artist used this color palette to paint this painting and by not using this color palette it reflects on their repression of an early childhood trauma of when they were lost in a grocery store and they got lost in the produce aisle so that's why there are no greens and natural colors. Everything is dark and unnatural. You can see psychoanalysis sort of in some ways can feel like it's trying to fill in the gaps, but we also can obviously make a connection of how this is applied when you're in a session with someone who is trained to peel the layers back. It confronts the layers in art, which feels really useful that there are hidden intentions buried in art and some of those are purposeful on behalf of the artist and some of those hidden intentions are what the artist was not meaning to intend that they're they're sort of again filling in gaps or i'm trying to think of like what a good like visual reference the thing behind the thing and you'll see um i think with post-structuralism particularly and a bit with structuralism as well that psychoanalysis really goes from being used in more of a therapeutic setting and then literary and cultural theorists take psychoanalysis and this idea of the unconscious or what's beneath the surface and they start to apply it to to artwork um, which is super super compelling again bouncing you can see almost the back and forth 
bouncing of formalism to Marxism, now to psychoanalysis, and then we're bounced to structuralism, which sees art as a system of signs and symbols and analyzes those signs and symbols in terms of the underlying structures and patterns. So um, I think that psychoanalysis and structuralism go in the same direction. That's not a bounce back and forth, but rather it's a, a deepening in a single direction where we have psychoana psychoanalysis introducing the unconscious, introducing this idea of what does it mean? It's this, but what's underneath the intent of the artist? Why did they stage this in this way? based on the audience's experience. Um, what is the meaning behind what they did do? What is the me what is missing from this and why? Those type of questions emerge when we talk about psychoanalysis and that structuralism. So when we, when we see as a post, or rather as a structuralist, excuse me, art as a system of signs and symbols, that inherently takes a thing and goes, it turns it one way or it rotates it on a side like this or rotates it this way, right? And if you were viewing a drum corps, I think that as a structuralist, you'd almost go to the end zone and look at it this way. And great visual techs know that there is a method to cleaning by standing on the side. And I think if I had to like relate it, that's maybe like a structuralist move where they're looking for underlying structures, structures and patterns where you go, okay, wait, like, so their feet look slow right here. I'm watching them. I'm not exactly identifying. Let me change my perspective. I'm going to flip the work like this. I'm going to flip it like this 90 degrees. And I'm going to go, wow. Yeah. So the way that this person's knee is bending versus when their heel articulates on the downbeat, I'm now seeing like my interpretation is one thing, but what's really going on is this, right? There's like this interpretive lens that can be used flipping the object, which would be watching drum corps on a flat axis and then flip going to a different angle, right? Maybe that's a reach, maybe it's not, but we're trying to think of these underlying patterns and structures and how they create meaning, right? So when I step back, I get a totalizing experience that feels like this is happening. And then when I look at from a different perspective or from a different angle, I'm able to see it in a different way. So structuralists want to go and they look at the thing, but they want to go that layer deeper and think about these underlying structures and patterns. But it's not in the way of the formalist who is like super literal with the components that you can see. I think a structuralist is going, okay, so the main character is wearing Levi jeans. Why did the author include that? Well, Levi is a signifier of American culture. And this person is a first generation uh, immigrant from China wearing Levi's. And it's part, what it signifies is, is their ongoing assimilation and desire to integrate into American culture, whatever. I just made that up. But it takes these things, it looks at objects as symbols. And we all know that signs and symbols don't mean what they mean, right? A stop sign isn't a stop sign because of an inherent meaning that an octagon and the word stop and what red means, it's a kind of coagulation of this outline that we have grown to understand as a stop sign, octagon equals stop sign, right? As well as red, which we use across, I don't know about every culture, but we use ubiquitously as a sign of danger, 
stop, right? That is built into how we think through different mechanics over time. It's maybe not automatic because red in nature can mean a certain thing or have various meanings, but we've started to build layers into octagon plus the word stop plus red through our various kind of layers and level of understanding becomes a stop sign, right? So I think that uh, is where structuralism is coming from and going like things don't just mean what they mean for no reason. Like why do they mean what they mean and where does that come from? So it, it pushes the art, it goes deeper and it thinks about the components and where they come from, not just on a, a surface level, but perhaps one, two or three layers deeper. Okay. So let's keep it moving. Psychoanalysis and structuralism kind of go off on one end and then bang, ping pong back. And this is where things get insane post-structuralism and tied up in post-structuralism is post-modernism, which really comes out of World War II when this idea of maybe global unity or something like that is obliterated by a not only ongoing globalization of telecommunications and cultural overlap and diaspora but also of nuclear war and the ability for technology to enable us to eviscerate the very place where we live. So that throws literary theory and art into this crazy moment where we don't know who we are anymore as a people and identity becomes uh, very much in play. It becomes fractured. Um, so post-structuralism, I think whether it be as a response or part of this wave of questioning the very reality that's around us because we didn't know that war and nuclear fallout was possible until it was. So you can imagine how when that was all realized, not only by artists, but by the consumers of art, it really changed the very nature of how we saw things in general, which sounds extremely vague. But it will make sense. So post-structuralism, it argues that there is no single objective meaning to a text or art and that the meaning is constantly being negotiated by the viewer or the reader of the, or the listener. So this is heavily subjective. And we're going to break down subjectivity and objectivity very shortly after this. But post-structuralism post kind of looks at all of these years of history and art and it goes whatever you thought it was it's everything but that it's whatever i as the viewer see in in from where i stand so it casts a view from an individual standpoint out into the world rather than thinking about a piece of art as casting its own message out right the work is being incorporated into a viewpoint rather than having its own viewpoint if that makes sense. I think that it does. Um, so art no longer has a single objective meaning. It's in a constant state of reanalysis. It's in a constant state of interpretation. And all that we have is interpretation from there and thus critique as interpretation is a pillar of critique. So that post-structural, post-modern moment, um, what you can see is a clear turn in terms of the artistic output where there is a fractured identity 
of our narrator. That's where that um, unreliable narrator comes from. It, it's where these works of art that feel like they don't have meaning come from. John Cage's work emerges out of a postmodern moment. Authors like Thomas Pynchon's work, um, David Foster Wallace, there's all these different examples of people who essentially were expressing a viewpoint that there is no firm viewpoint anymore. And that has saturated criticism from there on. And it's been extremely useful in many ways. And it's also been um, difficult in terms of finding our footing and alignment in looking at a singular thing and going, we're all seeing the same thing. So you can see how this would get slightly disastrous when you're trying to look at something that feels like a fact and at this point, post-structuralism and post-modernism is throwing what a fact is or what science is into a sort of tornado that is dynamic. So it's really, really confusing. So I mean, I'm going to reiterate the definition one more time, but post-structuralism and the post-modern moment, that's 1945 and after, it argues there's no single objective meaning to art and that the meaning is constantly being negotiated by the viewer. It puts the power back in the viewer. It, it reassigns our um, power as an individual. So you can see how that builds into certain areas um, politically and certain areas um, with theory, of course, and, and critique like what we're talking about. Um, but it also throws in a question our ability um, as a culture or as a, a global community to go, this is this and agree on that. Um, so let's keep it moving from there. So out of post-structuralism um, comes some really, really excellent and useful theoretical frameworks that still are important today. The first one being queer theory. Um, queer theory questions a perception that cisgender, heterosexual, able-bodied, Western, Cartesian duality identities are standard or normative. So this is a push against um, standardization. A, a world, an American society that is highly standardizing in a post-Fordian economic climate, and it's going, no, like, this isn't normal, and things aren't normal, and no one experience is normative. And that that's a, one of those phrases where you go, yeah, I've been hearing that a little bit, but it's so interesting coming out of that post-World War II moment and going, what are the thought processes that emerge out of these really, really difficult to understand human experiences, things that we never expected to happen, right? And this is kind of where it goes. It's like, we need to question the way that we've even considered authority, whether it be personal authority and autonomy in our identity, whether, whether it's what we think of capital A authority and who we've put the power in the hands of, Queer theory is challenging that on all levels, and it really does extend from the personal to the political. If you've never heard that term, that is is highly discussed in kind of the queer theory space um, and in the critical theory space. Um, so it's kind of, again, much like we discussed in post-structuralism, queer theory is going like, what is normal? Like, why are we prescribing ourselves to these certain behaviors and these certain tropes and identities, and it pushes back on those. And then the second one that comes out of post-structuralism and continues to kind of go in that direction is post-colonial theory, which is examining the ways in which art, in which language, in which culture um, from the marginalized communities reflects the experience of colonialism. So it brings back in 
the way that even in today's world, the behaviors of colonialism have impressed themselves on every structure we can see and experience and the dynamics we have interpersonally, in our politics, in our art, right? And I think that there are so many examples that we can even find the marching arts that post-colonial theory or even queer theory can come in and interrogate um, such as the type of composers we use to represent an idea. If I have an idea about this thing, this concept of the show, and then I only use Western canonized, um, you know, classical music, am I actually performing representation or am I casting a very particular perspective from the uh, corner or from a position of power and influence over the course of uh, the Renaissance period or whatever, like one of these very, very formative moments that makes it feel like this is reality, but it's like extending from, you know, Eurocentric resonance rather representing, let's say, Caribbean, Afrocentric, um, keep going, right? Eastern. So that's what I would say queer and post-colonial theory do have some um, moments where they they interact, but post-colonial theory is thinking, in my opinion, a little bit more geographically in the same way queer theory is thinking um, from an identity standpoint. So those two extending out of post-structuralism in a post-modern moment have now informed the umbrella that we call criticism, which kinds of brings us to today, right? We've centered the subjective and we've decentered the objective, the subjective being existing in someone's mind. It's internal, it's introspective, and it casts out versus objective, which is representing, quote unquote, real objective truths, despite one's opinions, um, not being influenced by a personal opinion and um, just considering and representing facts. In just reading it, when I just read objective in the definition for objective, it already makes you go, oh, like that is so not the thought process right now, um, putting away one's feelings for for uh, representing facts, only the mere idea of a fact and the mere idea of what we consider to be science not only has been kind of cast off, that sounds a little bit too radical, but I think this idea that we are in a moment of questioning what we believed to be facts, knowing that facts emerge from very subjective, uh, let's say, desires to get psychoanalytical of the people who have the money, power, and influence to perform, let's say, scientific research or to create huge budget films that we watch and that we consider and incorporate into our culture that create the clothing and the insignia on our clothes, right? Signs and symbols that we wear, right? So you can start to see the way that things unfold when we moved into this post-structuralist modality in terms of criticism. And then we look back at the things around us and you go, something's not working, or we have made assumptions that this was the way things are, and they're actually not. So we are, in my opinion, in a subjective critical uh, era right now, ever since this 1945 and on kind of moment, when we re-entered a subjective phase, and we started to reject a very sort of old way of thinking, mind, body separation, extending out of 
again, Rene Descartes thinking that duality, right? And that thought of things being one thing or the other. That is not how we think about almost anything today, at least from a, a I don't want to say popular culture, but I would say the culture um amongst those of us in it versus those of us in, let's say, if I'm in a scientific institution, it's going to be different in a, in a specialized field. But I think when we get back to the marching arts to kind of tie us back into this moment of criticism, when we think about the audience, we think about the staff and designers, and we think about the judges, we come from a subjective viewpoint. And I think many people would agree. And I'd love to hear um, those who do not, where you're coming from, because it's a really interesting way to think. So what does this mean for the arts that we are in this sort of you know, post-structural critical lens? Um, we are in a moment um, where we've adopted a lens in which the, our art band, right, which is so many moving parts, so many layers. You can <laughs> think back to all these different critical theories we thought through and, and how they could even be applied to our own thing, right? And we're in this moment, um, I would argue, in which the art is being judged upon the merits of the viewer um, rather than a concrete objective lens. Um, and the amazing thing about Drunk War and about the marching arts is there is the objective side, which is execution. But as I say that, I think even the objective side has subjectivity within it, hitting a yard line is not the same person to person, right? Not all ons are created equal. The way a person hits the yard line, the way they stop their weight, their posture, their presence, their eye contact, their strength, their athleticism, on isn't on. There's these, these different layers behind it that make us read things differently. And people with different levels of experience can see and hear more or less. So I go back to my original point was we are in a moment of subjectivity for the most part, though we trust that when we hire a staff under a drum corps, indoor staff or what have you, a band staff, or we hire a judge, there is a certain caliber of interpretation that they have through their experience. So I again, this is not a we are in a fully subjective mode of criticizing drum corps. We are in a fully objective mode. It's we are in a subjective mode of critique across at least American culture and likely much of the globe's culture because American culture permeates the globe, um, I would argue. But there are objective things about drum corps, we'd say, that are hard to argue with. But within them, there are moving pieces that qualify that. So for the marching arts, they're seen through our personal lens, right? If I am in high school, like I remember the first time I saw Frameworks um, and seeing Frameworks as a high school student and then seeing Frameworks now having March Cavaliers and seeing a lot of drum corps shows, right? So when I saw it then, I was pulling on my knowledge and my experience and my emotion and going like, I've never seen drill like this. I've never seen such a clean thing in the marching arts. It was like a totally different level. Um, and then as an older person with more experience, having seen a lot of drum corps, taught a lot of drum corps and marched in the corps itself. Now I watch frameworks with a different opinion or I'm like, oh, the drum line like ticked more than I remembered. And the core is dirtier visually than I remember. And Yada, yada, right? Like lame things that happen as you get older and you can't appreciate things as much. But the point being is that a static piece of art, technically, 
2002 Cavaliers finals video changed based on my age and experience. That's where this comes from, right? Age and how much you've done of something and whatever it might be. There's all these variables to ourselves, right? It changes how we come to a thing and how we think about it and how we respond to it. Um, So the thing feels dynamic based on who comes to it. You know, I think we'd all agree that when it comes to critiquing art, there is no right answer. There is no clear intent and there is no fact to the art. Is drum corps different than that? Maybe it is. But I think that there is less objectivity than feels like we think based on what we are bringing to viewing and listening. So when we watch a show and a certain section stands out to us, that's going to be because of something that we respond to, right? And maybe it is the execution, but could also be, you know, our parent played the trumpet. So we have a natural predisposition to react to the bra- the high brass. I'm a drummer, so I'm going to react to snare line. I march the snare line. I have a background in gymnastics, so I'm going to react to the color guard and dance. We bring ourselves to it and we'll see something stand out almost 3D in a way that everything else doesn't, right? Which sections of a show will stand out to us? The music, the visual idea, the colorization, the spatial composition, the pace and flow, we all respond to things differently. And again, let's constantly keep in mind when we think about a drum corps show and this idea of coming to it without a fact behind it, but rather bring ourselves to it and letting the emerging properties hit us from the show instead of us imposing properties onto it, we could potentially get a more authentic experience with the artwork. So a group's strengths or group's weaknesses will stand out to us because we will be attracted to a snare lick cutting or the flag spinning and landing clean in the perfect position. It will make aspects of the show come to life. And that's where the idea of a group's strengths and the group's composition start to get enmeshed. And we've had many conversations around the right and left box or the composition and the achievement box. And I think this idea of the way that the execution of a group's strengths or the exposure of a group's group's weaknesses will impact your read of the very components or features of a show is crystal clear. And I think that it is absolutely clear thinking through that the way a group communicates will impact what they are doing. So that if we, let's say, handed the same exact show to every single group, that it would communicate absolutely differently based on the skill level and teaching and the core uh, experience throughout. So that even the same exact music composition, the same exact drill and visual composition would come across drastically differently. And I think everyone would agree that that's true. It would be very, very different. That would be a great experiment that we could run. What else is subjective about the way that we see drum corps? What we hear. So again, to go back to the frameworks aspect, when I was 15 seeing frameworks for the first time, I wasn't able to hear the errors I can now hear having done over 10 years of teaching and doing X amount of time on the road and the way your ears start to adapt to listening and your expectation around what good is, 
I'm bringing something else in terms of my hours of listening experience than someone who is seeing a group for the first time. And even people who have a lot of experience watching have a very different listening experience than those of us who have done all those hours analyzing, right? And giving feedback as a teacher. Similarly, where we look on the field, right? Again, if I come from a specific background or if I have certain, uh, you know, likes or dislikes, I'm going to come to whether it is drum corps, I'm going to come to a work of art and go, I like this over here, or I like this over here. Like I know certain people who certain pitches of sound are unattractive to them, right? Like certain high frequencies or low frequencies, like even our very, our very state of our bodies, our, our ears and the type of condition they're in, right? Or the type of condition our eyes are in. If you are nearsighted than seeing a drum corps from far away, it's going to cause you to react a different way than seeing them up close. Because if you can't see the drill and the big picture, because I have a physical issue with vision, then your experience is going to be way different and your feedback is going to be different. It doesn't mean that it's worse. It means that you have a different perspective. Um, so I think that there's a lot of different ways we could come to seeing a drum core, come to seeing an indoor drum line and have different reactions because of our state or our nature or our experience. So you can start to see how the fact of the matter around a drum core show starts to get really slippery and it's less firm. The footing isn't there to go like, here are the facts, right? And there are certain, I think, tenants um, or certain peaks of facts in a drum core show that we would all agree with but there is much of the rest that's like the evaluation part of the critique gets a lot harder as the interpretation part is turned up. This shows up in terms of our subjective criticism in the shows we like and the shows we don't like, right? I mean, I was really, really attracted to the Mandarins, the Bluecoats, and the Troopers this year. Those are the three shows that I think were like, my favorite like design shows like and those aren't the best executed shows and maybe there are areas of weakness within those shows but i responded to them for whatever reason um just because it's actually hard to say why right because of who i am um so that shows up in the differences between let's say the rankings at the end none of those won right blue coats i believe ended second place so i'm not super different and thinking that blue coats had a great show but they didn't like win in terms of all the technicalities that add up to first place troopers um as well as mandarins weren't close to winning but for me were very compelling designs and things about them in terms of originality and set design and subject matter they stand out so now i go wow, like that was really memorable for this year drum corps versus a group that like placed better, but was maybe a little bit more like cookie cutter or similar um, to what's expected, right? And that goes to show the subversive or sometimes radical art isn't popular. Um, it stays underground and it takes time for it to kind of like foment and build a followership. And then it's not about like how it was originally evaluated, like we talked about. It's the way that that evaluation has evolved over time. Who knows? Maybe people are with me in terms of like tr where troopers are at and uh, how I felt about their design or, or how I felt about Manners design where I was like, things are happening here. And then once the, the execution kind of catches up, these are going to be highly competitive cores. So that's how I could see that subjectivity applying and sort of pulling us from 
the evaluation category to the interpretation category um, to the analysis and how those aren't all exactly the same. They're not interlocking and sometimes they're conflicting. Right. And then again, to speak to that evaluation portion, our judges are tasked with having a very particular method of evaluating. So how the judge use uses their sheet, that is subjective, right? There is a set of bullet points on each of the judging sheets and the judge isn't tasked with using all five or 10 bullet points equally. They have to evaluate the show and the performance using those bullet points, but the amount of weight they put into each of the buckets can be completely different. So 70% of their evaluation can go in like transparency and only 20 can go into uniformity or whatever. There's these groups that demand you to judge differently because what you are doing so much of so well that it draws you into this area and it and it disables you from using the other criteria at the same level. So instead of, you know, these five criteria using at 20% each, it's like, you know, 20, 10, 55, whatever. I'm like not adding these up as I go, but you see the point is that um, even the way that a mathematical system is being utilized, it, that it is not meant to be used objectively. It, it brings into the formula that the judge has a viewpoint and to rely on that viewpoint, again, to elicit an authentic reaction right? Allowing the show to come to them. If they're doing it right, they're allowing the show to meet them where they are. And then they're kind of just communicating what is reaching them. That could be completely conflicting judge to judge. We see that all the time. It's very normal to see that judge to judge that um, there's a subjectivity behind their read. And even night to night, a single judge can just have a completely different experience based on underlying factors, unconscious factors that they or the group's not aware of, which can be very, very tough to, to swallow and to digest when things change erratically overnight, right? So um, when we think about critique, right, and where we've gone to in this moment where we're in a highly subjective sort of like pattern of criticism, and we, we see that everyone has different viewpoints, it's especially visible in the online space where, I mean, a lot of our dialogue is happening. Um, everyone has almost an equivalent voice, except for those who have like sort of riven, risen above rather um, that sort of like medium level and they are like in that celebrity influencer area with a huge audience right and that's where it becomes sort of unequal but our ability to access the platforms to voice this objective opinion is equal at least in terms of the platforms themselves up to a certain extent um arguably and, and there's ways to hack that and there's ways that it's not perfectly democratic but um it's more so probably now that we have all access to pretty big platforms if we choose to use them and if we engineer them to our disposal right but we see these forms of criticism this subjective viewpoint coming from where I am and my experience, we see that show up in the way we not only criticize movies, music, um, we also do it with sports, right? Where we view sports in an artistic way, the way we argue over uh, fouls or close calls, the way that we have the umpire stationed at each base so that they can provide literally different perspectives, right? Um, that's a form of criticism, 
celebrity drama went to go back to the influencer thing to go to um real housewives and to go to the culture around reality television we view them in sort of the way that we used to view let's say uh the roman coliseum and gladiators fighting um that there is a drama behind it and we all have our opinions around the narratives or the the underlying sort of whether it be uh, motivations or desires or or what have you we get super wrapped up in it and then we form a critique and interpretation and there's entire cultures around that um and if you don't believe me just go on reddit right politics and the mechanics of politics are a place we stage subjective criticism where a singular person will say a singular thing but different sources who are re-articulating that thing will shift it so that they can boost a viewership and essentially um, speak to a certain population that's their audience right so that a singular idea that could be construed as a fact again we talked about flipping a stage and viewing the marching members from the side that's kind of a similar mechanic, right? Where all of a sudden a thing that was set at face value is being flipped 90 degrees or being flipped um, this way or that way, or is being pulled apart from a layer standpoint, or, or we're assigning meaning to it based on what this other person said based on comparison. And then the meaning of the thing is slippery. It doesn't have like a firm foothold in a reality because the reality is not being shared, right? So that's where the criticism has sort of brought us and in no way do we need to get political on this podcast, even though we talk drum corps politics, we talked about the politics of the marching arts, and it's really inevitable that we talk about politics a little bit, at least um, from a like theoretical standpoint. But the point being here is that you see, again, to go back up to our post-structuralist moment where, where that kind of objective meaning goes away, that enables a certain uh, mechanic of dialogue around, let's say, politics the news, and then culture, a tool that has been used for artistic criticism and is currently being used for artistic criticism, we can now see being pulled across and being used as a framework for the ways we assess our relationships or our friendships or the way that our interactions take place in real life, the clothes that we wear, the food we eat, the media we engage with, uh, the art we engage with, of course, it is seen through a lens where the meaning of these things is unstable. And I'd argue we are very much in that place. And these tools that were once formulated for a text, right, whether it be literary or whether it be an artistic text, is now a tool being used for reality itself. Um, and we are able to critically and theoretically apply ideas to things both that have happened and haven't happened to things that were meant or weren't meant on an unconscious or symbolic um, level. So that becomes super interesting looking at drum corps um, where there are so many moving parts and the very scope of the viewer versus the scale of the performance disables us from capturing 100% of what's happening. So it's an inherently subjective process. Now, what is my point with all this? There really isn't one, right? The point being is when you go to view a piece of art or when you go to see a drum corps show, try to look in places you haven't looked. Try to cast considerations 
whether it be onto the show itself or into a competitive read where you can put yourself in the shoes of, of another person and try to absorb things, not from just where you are, but from understanding every individual has a specific and unique viewpoint, right? If nothing else, it will enable you to have slightly more empathy at times. For me, it's been a little bit of a process of undoing some beliefs that I have about like the drum corps world and competition and trying to create a viewpoint that's a little bit more dynamic and more um, thoughtful and not coming to everything with a clear tool, right? That everything's a nail and every that all everything requires is a hammer because everything isn't a nail, right? So if all I do is cast a hammer, I'm just hammering everything, right? Requires a different tool. So I think that my takeaway really, you know, going through a somewhat in-depth review of just this idea of what is critique and where it comes from and why we kind of get frustrated sometimes with the way that critique happens in the drum corps space or why we all can't agree who we like and who we don't like, which is the fun part of it, um, that there is a potential um, positive takeaway around adopting, you know, walking, um, you know, a mile in the shoes of a the other person critiquing the other person viewing and that there's the potential for us to um, have simultaneous multiple viewpoints at once that are competing and that that's okay. And that that is actually the hallmark of critical thought and the ability to not get trapped in a singular viewpoint. So if nothing else, that could be a takeaway other than just having your head spun around by me going through these somewhat complex technical theoretical lenses that in my opinion are quite interesting. And at least for me have been really informing in terms of like my own pathway through being a member, being an audience member and a fan, being on staff, being a designer, being a judge, um, and the way that these things just incorporate themselves um, in, in the experience. So, um, you know, let me know if you like this episode, uh, reach out. If you don't reach out, all good. Um, we're, we constantly switch it up. And, and for me, I wanted to um, fill a hole in just the content coming up, out right now that it's so DCI 2023 heavy that I wanted to think a little bit more broadly and just like get my thoughts out around like, how we interpret and criticize the art form that we're all deeply invested in. So um, please, as usual, leave a review, um, give us five stars, give us however many stars you want, leave a comment, like all the things, repost the social media stuff. And as always, really appreciate everyone stopping by, listening, watching, and um, being a fan of the show. And uh, that's all for now, y'all. Catch you next time.